The Old Testament lesson for today is from Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. The Bronze Snake. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then, when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. The epistle today is taken from Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 10. Made alive in Christ. For as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you lived when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved, and you were raised up with Christ and seated with us, with him, in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ, in order that in the coming ages he might show you incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, and it is not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by your works, so that no one can boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here ends our reading. Please stand with me as we read the Holy Gospel, the words of Jesus Christ for us today. The Holy Gospel according to St. John in the third chapter. And he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Gracious God, you've called us together. We want to worship you. We thank you for your word. Give us focus on it. May the words that we speak and the words that we hear bring glory to your name and affect our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When we read our Bibles, and I pray that you do that, sometimes we read ideas or stories with a sense of new discovery. And we react to that discovery by saying, I never saw that before. You've probably had that experience. Other times we read a section that we treat as very familiar. Today we have two of those. Both the epistle reading this morning and the gospel reading this morning fit the model for most of us as being very familiar. Most Christians would react that way. Some of you may have even memorized some significant chunks of John 3 or Ephesians 2. We find comfort in the great good news from what many people would call their most familiar verses in the whole scripture. We believe and confess that God the Father really loves us so much, so much that he sent his only son to live in this world so that we could be saved from the sufferings of hell. Instead, we have life in his kingdom forever. Now, whatever uncertainty we may have left after we've read that is removed further when the Apostle Paul teaches us that this salvation comes by grace through faith. God gives it as a gift. So I'd ask you the rhetorical question at least, although you could answer it out loud if you want to. Why do we like John 3.16 and Ephesians 2.8 and 9 so much? I would suggest to you that these ideas endure. They keep going. So they show up in odd places at odd times. I have a number of... Uh, return address stickers, the little ones you stick on the envelope, and some of those have something like, God so loved the world, or God sent his son, or saved by grace. Uh, like many other people, I begin to wonder how many of these things I can use in a lifetime because they keep coming at me. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's not today's issue, it's just part of the situation. We also use them for decorations around our home. And so I was thinking about that this week as I was looking at this text and thinking, yeah, in our front entryway uh, at our home, we have a picture, a piece of semi-abstract art, but overlaid on it is saved by grace through faith. This is a gift from God so that no one can boast, etc. Powerful reminders. So what we learn from that is that God's agenda is not hidden. His plan speaks clearly. Both John and Paul, as we look at these scriptures, 
unpackage for us their teachings so that we can see, so that we can absorb what they have to say. Those teachings and the gifts behind them all come to us in exactly that form, a gift. A gift because God really loves us. And that love by itself is amazing. We're talking about that a little bit in the Bible class this morning. We need that gift because, you know, we do have a sin problem. If we back up in the stuff that Paul was writing to us this morning, that, that second reading for today, the earlier part of Ephesians 2, it starts out by telling us that we struggle with the temptations of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. And that's what the Catechism says about it. It wasn't in quite that summary form this morning, but we struggle with the temptations of the devil, the world, and their sinful flesh, just like everyone else in the world does. That's not a shock to us. That's the reality that we live with. If we just had our own resources to drive life forward, we would never escape from this sin-filled condition. We'd be stuck there for eternity. No hope, condemned to judgment, lost. Get it? We deserve punishment, not good stuff from God. But the Bible teaches us, here and in hundreds of other places throughout the Scripture, God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. God loves everyone he's created. We might fear that we're unlovable. And somebody else may believe, I'm not lovable. I don't know who that is, but that's all right. <laughs> we might think some other people are unlovable. When we look at the leader of North Korea, if you match up with most other people in the United States, we'd think, he looks pretty unlovable to me. We think about Larry Nasser, or the killer of 17 high school students in that Florida incident a week ago. Not very lovable looking. God loves every person born on this earth. And that truth changes everything. Just to emphasize the point a little bit, uh, Billy Graham died on February 21st, age of 99, a hero for many people throughout the nation. One of his great preaching hallmarks over the decades was a strong reliance on this great truth that God loves us. God loves you deeply, firmly, faithfully. No end to it. And that love motivated God to develop a plan to send his son to die just as John 3.16 teaches us today. And this truth works for everyone who believes in Jesus. That's the only condition. Both Ephesians 2 and John 3 push us to literally hug that truth, to hang on to it, to embrace it, to remember it, to teach it. That's his firm plan. But now, the title for today, if you read that in the bulletin, is the challenge 
God's challenge from the familiar. Now our challenge rises up out of these familiar words. We need to read the rest of the story. Too often we read John 3.16 and we read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and then we stop. We fail to listen to what God says next. I'm guilty of that. You might be too. So we have this grace gift delivered to us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and we say thank you very much God. I'm glad I've got that. Pause. Verse 10 of chapter 2 in Ephesians opens the next step. Paul now takes us in a new direction. Shouldn't call it a new direction. It follows from the grace that he's just proclaimed to us. We don't want to miss this. <clears throat> For we are God's workmanship. <clears throat> we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's break that down into some pieces for a moment. Number one, God created us in Christ for good works. If we go back to Genesis 2 for just a moment, God set Adam and Eve in the garden. And when they were there, he said to them, they were to work the garden and maintain it. The plan was for good stuff to flow from their lives there. On the negative side, they're not supposed to waste or squander. Um, they're not going to be worn down by the work. They were to be producers, working with God. I would suggest they were to work with God, having a blast, that there would be joy in everything that they did as they worked together with God. Of course, that's before Genesis 3, the fall and the sin. But that was the plan. Okay, second point, coming out of what we're just reading here. God prepared in advance works for us to do long before we were born. Isn't that a mind-boggling thought? Long before we were born, he had these things in mind. The scope of God's mind, the scope of God's plan, reaches beyond anything we can really imagine. The Bible tells us that God knew us before we were in our mother's wombs. No matter how I puzzle over that, my brain doesn't quite wrap around that. But that's what he says. Before we were in our mother's wombs. Here the word teaches us that he'd already prepared the things that we would work on so far in advance that we cannot picture it. And point number three. He wants us to do those things which he planned for us to do. Remember, this is not good works for salvation. This is good works to follow from the gift of salvation. This is simply the way God expects us to live. That's how the world will be blessed. So then our question becomes, how do I approach all of that? How should we approach doing the good works God has prepared in advance? The Bible gives us some clues on how this works. What works will I do? Well, if I really want the answer to that question, who should I ask? Ask the Lord. He'll lead me. 
Ask God to lead. Show me the way. And then follow through. This morning in the Bible class, we were uh, talking about the prophet Jonah. Jonah blew this big time, very badly. God had said, go east to proclaim. Jonah said, no thanks, I'm going west. And he hopped on a ship and headed the other direction. Not a good model for us. Go where God says to go. Do what God says to do. With what quality standard for our works? How about best possible? Paul would set the standard for that. He'd lay that out for us and says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I took my best shot at it, might be our translation for that. How much is enough? I don't think God ever answers that question. There's no retirement plan to quit doing good work. So let's not go that way. Which works are going to be mine? Different for different people. If we continue to read on through the book of Ephesians, or if that's not enough, we could read Corinthians, we could read um, Romans, and we hit the same answer. Different gifts for different people. So we check our talents and our skills against the standard of what God holds up for us to do and says those things ought to match. We're not God's robots. He invites us to work with him in the same sense that he was talking to Adam and Eve. We share the work. So, the challenge to do good works rises up from these grace gifts that we already have. The challenge will not wear us down, will not weigh us down. We live in that love relationship with God. That's the beginning point. And the works that we do grow out of that love. We love Jesus. His love drives how we act every day. To draw the contrast. Is God's love, does it, does it end at noon today? Sunday noon, we all go home. God shuts off his love at that point? No. We say God's on this 24-7. The love of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit works in our lives 24-7. Our love for him. Does that stop at noon on Sunday? No. His love for us drives everything he does for us. Our love for him drives how we work under him also. God wants us to enrich our lives so that we will live on a level that matches with his nature in all that we do. We'll be more like Christ every day. If we read on through the book of Ephesians, that's what we'll find. Living in Christ is an active relationship, not a passive one. So when the love that we receive from God penetrates into our spirits very deeply, we begin to respond to him, to live like he designed us to live. We will still battle with sin that comes into our life and all the temptations that come with it, of course. But our actions, our works, the stuff that we do every day falls in line with the works that God planned for us to do. Just a reminder, none of this will earn salvation. Jesus already bought that for us on the cross. We're simply following him out of love for him living like God designed us to live. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I invite you to stand with me and we confess our sins before the Lord. Let us then confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for you, and for his sake forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take a minute to share the peace of the Lord with the people around you today. Please be seated. We'll gather the offerings today. <laughs> 